Let me kind of give you a little kind of where, where I come from in my perspective. Um, as your pastor mentioned, pastor, incredible church. And to see this church, this church has almost 90 years of history. And, and I love New Life Church. And one of the things I've done in my recent um, dissertation, in May of 2015, I'll graduate with my doctoral degree. And um, what my work in my dissertation has been this. Is there hope, and, and I'm actually write a book about this, my dissertation work will be out there, but the question I ask, is there hope, come a strange question, for a church that has 90 years of history? Is there hope for a church that's been established for a while? Can that church regain, to use Revelation's language, regain their first love? Can they have a passion for God? Is there hope for the, for, for the church that's been around for a while? Now, I'm a church geek. And I study all the different opinions out there. And there's a lot of people that say, they say no, a lot of people say yes. But let me tell you what I've concluded through my academic study and through experiences with um, pastors like your church is this. Is I believe with all of my heart that the best days for Horizon and the best day for the church in North America is not behind us, but it's before us. And I believe that some people disagree with me and we go around and I, that, that's okay. But Jesus says, I will build my church. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to this world. And even though a lot of churches are struggling, a lot of churches are not figuring out how to get to the future, let me tell you something. I have given my life, I've given my whole life's work to help encourage, empower the church. God is saying, in a prophetic way, I believe to Horizon, God is saying, the best days for your church are before you, not behind you. We're talking about a pastor here, 21 years of leadership. They don't come more with more credibility, humility, and character than Pastor Stan. Listen to me, Pastor Stan and Karen. God wants to pour out his spirit upon horizon. In the next three, four, five, ten years, the next decade, God wants to do something incredible here at this church. Come on, everybody. Amen? He wants... He wants to empower the church with his spirit. He wants to infuse us with his mission. He wants something to awaken in the life of the church. Now, before we get to our text, I want to ask a question, kind of in framing of this whole message. And here's the question that um, I, I, I've given thought to, I've written about, I train, I coach pastors in. And here's the question I ask all the time. If that's true, then why do so many churches struggle? If it's true that God wants to pour out his spirit, empower us, God wants to infuse us with new mission, then why so many churches when you go, it's like, it's like a, a, a cemetery, not a celebration. Often I put it like this, why are churches are more like a museum for saints than a hospital for sinners? If it's true, if it's true, then why in the world are so many churches stuck and not going forward? And honestly, let's be real honest, like some of us would never invite someone to church because we're not sure how they would connect if they walked in. If that's true, then why? Why? And there's possible answers if we were like in a coffee setting, just having a cup of coffee together. Answers people give. One of the answers people automatically go, and you know you've been in the church for a while when you go here. It, well, it's the devil's fault. It's spiritual warfare, and there's demons dancing around and keeping people out of church, right? And let me tell you, I do believe there's something to be said for spiritual warfare. Come on, everybody, right? 
And there's a real battle, Ephesians 6. But often what we like to do as Christians, when we can't explain it, we just kind of go, well, we need to pray harder. And how many people know we knew need to pray harder? Come on, right? We, but, but often we cop out, we go, well, it's spiritual warfare, and we go down that road. I believe it's actually more complicated than that. Other people, when they get to the question, they'll go, well, there must be sin in the church. And there's people sinning, and they, they go down this road, and they start, pound, uh, they start going out to the church and start pounding on the church, and you're a sinner, and you're going to hell, and it's like the guilt trip, and we go down that road. And while I believe that the dynamic of church health has to do with uh, spiritual warfare and even personal sin, I actually think it's more complicated than that, or more simple. You determine I think the problem is not necessarily uh, spiritual war or personal sin. Here's the problem. I want you all to dial right here. Here's the problem. The problem is, if you've been in the church for any length of time, it is very, 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 very easy, come on, to become entrenched. Come on, someone, he like studied to learn that? Like, wow, Dr. Jones, good. It's very, very easy to become ingrown. And I, if it's not true about you, it's sure, surely true about New Life, the church I pastor. Very, very, very easy to become about me, me, consumerism. It's very easy for the church to accept like status quo or even a church like Horizon, like three gatherings, you're talking about multi-sites. You have a jingle jam next week. Pastor Stan, that's awesome. Let's just be good with that. It's very easy to reject change. Matter of fact, Mark Twain said it like this. The only person that likes change is a wet baby. We go, ah, just, let's just be comfortable. Come on, comfortable. I mean, like, let's not dream and believe God again. We get into what I call, and I write about this, we get into becoming a church. That's, the metaphor would be we become like a swamp instead of a river. And a swamp becomes entrenched. It starts to smell. And this is why a lot of churches, they stinketh. Because it becomes about them, their seat, where, their coffee, their church, their, their, me, me. When we don't realize at the end of the day, this is about him, 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 not you, you, you. And I'm believing that on the church in America, I know it's big, it's audacious, but there would be an awakening where God would realize we are put on here, on earth, to take the gospel to people. And I'm praying that God would nudge you. God would nudge me. God would make me uncomfortable. God would mess us up. Come on, I'm praying that all of us would be messed up. There are people we live with, work with, play with. There are people all around us that simply would actually come to church if someone would say, come with me. If someone would simply open up their arms and go, come on. Let's go to Jingle Jam together. Let's go to the Christmas service together. People are singing about Christ. They need somebody to actually be a part of their story. My burden is this, that all of us would become a part of someone else's story in finding Jesus. Come on, everybody, amen? That all of us, that you, your story would intersect with someone else's story and the story of Jesus, and that God would use that in a beautiful way. Now, how many of you are ready to look at the Bible together? You ready? Yeah. Amen, come on. Acts chapter 15, you have your scriptures there in, um, in your program. 
what I love about Bible study, for those of you that are new to Bible, I, I love it because it's so real. It's so real. And we're going to jump into a story in the book of Acts. And Acts is simply, those of you new to Bible study, it's simply a historical book talking about the, the, the story of the first century church. Dr. Luke wrote it. Luke was a very detailed writer. And he was giving all the accounts of the story of the history. It's a church history book. And what I love about the book of Acts, and this is what I love about Scripture, I want you to jump into this story together. I want you to kind of all jump into the story. Here's what's going on. The church is like exploding exploding. And one day, imagine this, imagine this, 3,000 people get saved. How many people, that would be a good day for church, right? And then 5,000 get, get saved. And Luke records it went from just people getting saved to multiplication. And the gospel was going from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There was a, there was a sense of like God was up to something. There was a dynamic sense of the Spirit empowering the church in the book of Acts. But here's what I love about the Bible. In the middle of all the good things and God pouring out his spirit, you find that the church had conflict. And what I love about scripture is that Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, doesn't hide the conflict. Matter of fact, if you've been in church any length of time, here's what's true. Where two or more gathered, there you have problems. <laughs> there you have conflict. And I want you to, here's how often that we preach, um, guys, we don't admit the conflict in the Bible. For some reason, we preach all the good stuff, but we don't preach like the conflict stuff. I like going to the tension. I like looking at the Bible like I was watching a movie, like, give me the tension. So I want you to feel this. This is going to be hard, but I want to go back to the first century church and feel this tension for a moment. Here's the big issue of the first century church. All these people were getting saved, but also the people who were getting saved were not only Jewish people, but there were Gentiles, these Gentiles were getting saved, and they wanted to sit in our chairs. And they wanted to come to our church. And these Gentiles were getting saved, and the church started to go, what do we do about these Gentiles? Like, we know the gospel is for everyone, but we want the Gentiles to look like us and sing like us and act like us and do everything like we do. And there was this tension. I want you to feel it for a moment like it's a movie. They was like, the, the tension was thick. They were having fights and debates over this issue. Should the Gentiles be allowed to come to Horizon? Should the Gentiles be allowed to come to New Life Church? What, like, why? Uh, like, these guys are like sinners. Side note, we're all sinners. But there was this tension. They started to fight about it. And we're going to join one of their annual business meetings, Acts chapter 15. And I want us to join this story and, and kind of look at this story together. Acts chapter 15, it says this, certain people, let's pause. I never want to be called a certain people. These people, religious folks, they came down from Judea to Antioch. Antioch was a city where God was birthing a, a new, it was actually the city where the disciples were first called Christians where the Gentiles were getting saved. The gospel went just beyond the Jewish people to Gentiles. Certain people came from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers. Look at what they're teaching them. Now think about that. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, come on, let's say this together, you cannot be saved. Now, Think about it. Some of you go, what's the big deal? 
Well, if you're 30 years old and you're a male, that becomes a big deal if you walk in Horizon. <laughs> come on, come on. They, I want you to get the confidence. If you're like 30 years old and you get saved, and man, someone invites you to Horizon and you give your life to Jesus, and all of a sudden you find out there's a cutting edge ministry in the back. <laughs> all of a sudden you find out, wow, somebody forgot to give me the fine print of Christianity. Like, what's that all about, sweetheart? I mean, what's going on? And my question is, how do you know they're not circumcised? Another issue. <laughs> but here's what's going on. I want you to catch this. If you're, if you're kind of part of it, they came together and going, no, if you're going to come to church, you need to be like us. You need to dress like us. You need to act like us. You need to become like the Jewish people. This was tension in the church, it's hard for us to appreciate it today because we're going, wow, that seems weird. But so often this is the exact tension that the church is facing. If people are going to come to church, they need to clean up. They need to do what we do. And this became a battle, so much so, look at verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas are the main guys of the church of Antioch. They brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp, come on, say this out loud together, dispute and debate. I love it. This brought them into an argument. Here they are, you know, the gospel is being preached, the spirit of God is spreading across the world, and all of a sudden they come together and they're going to argue about should the Gentiles be circumcised when they come to Horizon. So much so, here's what happened, is they took Paul and Barnabas, look at the next part. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem, to go to headquarters. Come on, you guys, we're going to send you to headquarters to see the apostles and elders about this question. And just feel the tension for a moment. They come together and they start arguing. Can those Gentiles come to our church? Come on, they need to become like the Jewish people. They start going back and forth, and all of a sudden, this guy named Peter stands up. And Peter addresses the people. He says, guys, let me tell you something. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. I remember God giving me a vision at Cornelius' house that says, don't call anything unclean. The gospel is for everyone. And Simon Peter stands up in this, in this business meeting, and he says this in verse 11. He says this, now then, listen to this question. See, these next three verses are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Simon Peter looks at the tension. He says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of disciples a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? He says, why do you make them to do things that we don't even want to do? Come on, feel that. He's going, like, you can see the whole room got quiet. Come on, he's looking around the room, he's going, you don't even like that. Come on, you don't even do that. But boy, when somebody comes into the church, we try to make them exactly in our religious trappings instead of giving them the freedom of Christ. And Simon Peter he stands up and says, come on, guys, why do you try to put all these rules and regulations that are not founded in Scripture? And to be fair to this argument, by the way, circumcision goes all the way back to Abraham. It was a part of their religious um, tradition. And Simon Peter's going, why do you do that? Why do you try to put all this stuff on people? Then he makes a statement. 
that I want us to see because there's a powerful statement in verses 11. He says this. First of all, he says one word, and I want you to say this word out loud. Come on, come on, let's say it together. No. Pause. No. He says, no. He says, we believe something so powerful. Come on, Horizon. What happens here is that Simon Peter changes everything. Simon Peter says, come on, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We believe that the only way we have a relationship with God the Father is through Jesus Christ, not all the religious trappings. Come on. Either you believe the gospel or you don't believe the gospel, church. Either you believe that Jesus can set someone free, he can clean up their life, or we don't believe it. But so many churches, what we do is we say, hey, before you step into the church, before you become a part of us, you need to clean up. And Simon Peter's going, no, no, no. He's going, church, no. We believe that Jesus has enough power to transform a life. He transformed our life. He'll transform their life. He says, no, we believe Jesus is alive and working in the lives of people around us. This was a game changer. Everything changed in this moment in the life of the church. All of a sudden, they realized that the gospel is enough that Jesus can transform a life. And by the way, if you're here and you're, you don't have a relationship with God and someone's kind of brought you to Horizon, man, part of your pushback is, oh, do I have to go and kind of do all the religious stuff? This is me. We're not about religion here. We're about Jesus. A relationship with God. And I'm so convinced, come on, Horizon, I'm so convinced that the church can keep the main thing the main thing. People actually may respond to the message of the cross. What we've done is we've put so much religious trappings on the gospel that people can no longer see Jesus. And Simon Peter's going, no, no, no. Here's what we believe. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And finally, James stands up. And James is the half-brother of Jesus. He becomes the leader of the church. And he stands up. And he makes a profound statement. A statement that today... 2,000 years later, we understand more clearly. And he looks at the people as they're arguing about circumcision. And James says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it. Come on, say this out loud together. Come on, it's my judgment, church. This is James, first century leader. He says, it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to the living God. It's my judgment that we ought to remove all hurdles, all obstacles, so people can see Jesus. It's my judgment that we ought to be a church that people can come and hear the message of Jesus Christ and be transformed. It is my judgment. Now, Horizon, can you imagine? Let's not talk about the church in North America. Let's just talk about you. What would happen if everyone that called Horizon your church would get this? What would happen if we understood that we exist to help people find out about Jesus, discover Jesus, bring them to church so they can know Christ? We could have a revival in this region. What would happen if we understood really that our job is to do everything we can to remove those hurdles and religious trappings so people could see Jesus and Jesus alone? Come on, I'm praying that God would nudge us. I'm praying that the Spirit of God would give you a burden and me a burden. Come on, people you live with, people you work with, people you play with. 
Come on, some of you, this is very personal. Because there's some of you ladies here, your husband's not a Christian. And there's everything in you. You are begging that there would be a church that would help see your husband come to Christ. That's Horizon. Some of you have kids. Like you have kids, you're going like, could my teenager ever serve God? Come on, that's Horizon. To see your teenagers come to Jesus. Some of you have grandkids. You're going, come on, could we be a church that would reach the next generation? That's Horizon. That's Horizon. If we're willing to say this, man, God, help us to be a first century church that would wrestle through the issues that put up unnecessary hurdles for people and help them come to the place where they say yes to Jesus Christ. In a few moments, I want to pray over you. I want to pray that God would nudge us, God would mess us up, God would give us names and faces of people that we can, that we can invite and bring to church with us. But I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Derek. Derek and I have been, we've known each other for about five years uh, at this point. And five years ago, Derek wasn't a Christian, 32 years old, and we became friends. And uh, I love Derek's story. Here, a couple years ago, I baptized him in water. And I want to show you his, his story. He's going to tell it by video and then show you his water baptism. Hi, my name is Derek. And six years ago, I found myself at the lowest point of my life. I had uh, been out drinking one night and I, I uh, passed out. And I woke up in Harborview with uh, my wrists and, and ankles were strapped to the bed. I had a neck brace on and a breathing tube down my throat. I, I, I remember when I left the hospital, I began to really question my, my personal relationship with God and the fact that I didn't really have one with him. Um, and uh, it was about a year ago that I met uh, Pastor Troy outside of, of New Life. And uh, it was, you know, him and I, you know, we, we um, did, did business together. And I remember um, it was on October 10th, 2011. Him and I had a meeting at Starbucks. And he had kind of just asked me if, if he wanted to hear my story. He wanted to hear my story, and so I, I said, uh, yeah, sure, and I, I told him, and at, when I was finished, he just asked me if, if I'd ever personally confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and um, I told him, no, I never have, and, and so it was there at Starbucks that him and I, we prayed together, and uh, you know, we, we walked into Starbucks that day, friends, and, and walked out brothers in Christ, and today I uh, um, publicly declare that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Awesome. I feel like I'm um, Derek. I have a, a brother from a different mother right here. <laughs> but your mama must have been taller than mine for sure. <laughs> Derek, I just want to say before um, New Life, um, here's the bottom line. You're the reason why I'm in ministry. You're the reason why New Life exists. See, guys like you that trying to figure out Jesus and then watch you give your life to Christ. I feel so honored to be a part of, the, a part of your story. I really do. So, um, man, God's going to use you. I can't wait to see what God does in your life with your family. A man of God. New life, this is what it's all about right here. It's all about just seeing Jesus transform your life. You ready to go public with your faith, my friend? I am. Let's do it. Father, thank you for the mercy of God. Thank you for your story, for the providence of God in Derek's life. God, I pray for him. 
Pray for his wife, his two girls. God, I pray, Jesus, let this be a family that would testify to the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Derek, because of your confession of your faith and the Lord Jesus, I publicly, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, I baptize you in Jesus' name. Amen. We got him. <laughs> we got him. I love you, man. <laughs> Come on, come on, let's give the Lord a hand. I, I want us to stand together, and I, I just want to pray over Horizon, pray God's favor, pray a burden over us as a church. I tell you when, you, when you think about someone like Derek, and I remember Derek starting to come to New Life, New Life took a different perspective for me. All of a sudden, I, I thought about our ushers. When Derek came to the church, I was just praying that he would meet like a normal usher. <laughs> Seriously, you know what I'm saying? Like someone that wouldn't cast the demons out of him immediately, maybe later. <laughs> when Derek brought his kids to the church, I was praying, God, let the kids' ministry be on today. God, just today, minister to Derek's kids. Forget about everyone else, just Derek's kids. And when Derek came into the auditorium, I was praying the music would just be anointed. Honestly, this is going to make me too much. I pray, God, help us not to be so churchy today that we don't realize Derek's there. And then when, and like, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, that's the day I'm not preaching about tithing. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> because of Derek, I want Derek to not feel like he has to be circumcised before he can be a part. Now today, Derek is a man of God, learning all the disciplines of Christianity. But if new life at all, if we had any kind of thing like, well, you got to be first. My friend Derek wouldn't be going to heaven. And for that, I love my church. And let me tell you, I, what I know about your pastor and his precious wife, that's what they want for Horizon. And that's who this church has become and will continue to be. Let's reach the Derricks of this community and this region. Let's do it together, not be all these departments, but together, one person. Because you know what the Bible says, when one person gets saved, all heaven shouts. All heaven celebrates. And I think that happens in the life of a church. All of a sudden, no longer you're thinking like a swamp, it's like a river. A river full of adventure, seeing people like Derek give his life to Jesus.